0: And welcome back to another edition of the On the Rocks podcast. I'm Patrick Saunders, Rockies beat writer for the Denver Post. I've been home for the past week, taking a break from what is a very long spring training, while my colleague Nick Groke is covering the team back in Arizona. I will rejoin the team coming up here in just a day or so. Well, there's a lot to discuss about the Rockies as we hit the midway point of spring training, and Nick and I will hook up and talk about those issues in the first segment of this On the Rocks podcast. The chief issue on the table right now, I think Nick and I both agree, is who's going to hit leadoff for the Rockies. Uh, Charlie Blackman was magnificent there last year, but he's been hitting in the three-hole a lot this spring, and the Rockies do seem intent on making him a power hitter in a power hitter spot, which begs the question who has the skills and who's ready to replace Charlie in the leadoff spot. So Nick and I will banter that topic back and forth. We'll also talk a little bit about which players have the most pressures on their shoulders right now. There's a bunch of guys that need to come through for this team if the Rockies are going to realize their dream of not only making the postseason but perhaps going deep into the postseason and perhaps for the first time in 25 years of existence, winning the NL West. So Nick and I will talk about that and a number of other topics in this episode of the On the Rocks podcast. So please stay with us and we will be back in just a moment as Nick and I talk Rockies baseball.
1: Welcome
0: back to the On the Rocks podcast. This is Patrick Saunders. Rocky's beat writer with the Denver Post, I am back home in Denver, taking a small break from the long camp and my partner partner Nick Nichols Grope is in Scottsdale with the team. Nick how's it been for the past week?
1: uh it's been okay. We're starting to uh narrow down uh some answers to spring training questions, but there are some big ones still uh left to go uh they i mean we we are seeing uh a lot of the key pieces for the, uh, the Rockies this season kind of finally get into the swing of things um, in in the Cactus League, and there's some there's some big questions though still coming up here, Patrick.
0: Well, you know we're I don't know approximately I say approximately about halfway through both spring training and the Cactus League. The games came early this year. Um, let's let's banter this back and forth a little bit. You mentioned questions. If you had to pick one or two. Issues or questions that you think this team this team still needs to solve before the opener against Arizona on Thursday, March twenty ninth. What would those be? Name a couple of them, and then I'll give you a couple of mine.
1: Well, you know what's funny and what's totally crazy right now? Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. For the first time in five years, pitching is actually not a question. Basically, if that makes sense, it's it's kind of yeah, a, it's I kind of amazing, um, but. So the, that what that leaves is actually on the offensive side of things is really are really the big issues that they have to deal with right now. The number one the number one question that's currently nagging at me about this team, Patrick, is who's going to hit leadoff? Yes. Uh, and because their their entire lineup kind of kind of obviously starts from the top and and folds down. It was so set for the last three or four years with Charlie Blackman, and they're experimenting with Charlie Blackman hitting. In the third spot, which is a which is not a bad idea, they're they're trying to take advantage of his power by putting putting people on base in front of him. He had 37 home runs last year. If there were if they could get more people on base in front of him, how how much more how many more RBIs could he hit? You know, like there are a lot of there are a lot of things that they're trying to optimize with Charlie Blackman. Um, but that leaves then who might replace him? And they are having I. Th- It seems to me they're having some trouble figuring that out right
0: now. Well, let me throw my two cents in here on the Charlie Blackman thing. Nolan Arenado told me early in spring training, hey, man, if it ain't broke, I'll fix it. He liked having Charlie up at the top. And I tend to agree with him. Not that I don't think Charlie can. I think Charlie can handle the three-hole. Don't get me wrong. But in my mind, when you have somebody leading off, had such an extraordinary season, an historic season like Charlie did, To me the the only reason you're dropping him in the order and taking away what i thought was an incredible advantage from the get-go and it made charlie have a lot more at bats i think it made teams nervous because in my mind not only do the rockies not have a proven leadoff hitter uh, if charlie isn't the guy but i think they're lacking power down in the order and i think if we look back in the season and the offense doesn't perform up to up to what it needs to for them to get back in the playoffs, we're going to look back in this offseason. We're going to say, hey, the Rockies had a chance to sign some people as you know some potential sluggers, and they didn't go for it. Now, I'm not saying that they David Dahl or some of these other guys can't contribute, but if we look back in the season, the offense isn't as good as it should be. I think we're going to look back at this offseason and say, you know what? They should have left Charlie in the leadoff spot, and they should have found somebody else and signed somebody else who could fatten up the middle of the order. The, at least that's my opinion right
1: now. Their biggest problem right now, just overall, is they don't have a lot of home runs in that lineup. And Charlie Blackman's his, his production as a leadoff hitter last year was due in no small part because early in the year, the people at the bottom of, the, of their lineup were hitting really well, if you'll remember. Tony Walters was, yeah. was hitting really well early in the season. Uh, now, when they struggled as an offense later in the year, starting in August, it had a lot to do with the fact that nobody was on base in front of Charlie Blackman from the bottom of the order So whenever he would come back up to bat uh, he they, they were, whenever his his hits were not producing runs now he he led the league in runs <laughs> because Nolan Arenado continued to hit behind him. So it's sort of a catch-22. Like, how do you maximize what you can get out of Charlie Blackman? It's a a difficult question.
0: It's a quandary for this team. Well, let me ask you this on the other side of the coin. And I'll give you my opinion, but I want yours first. If they stick with Charlie in the three-hole, if they decide, you know what, we're going to go for it. This is what we're going to do. Who in your mind, from what you've seen, who you've talked to, all of that, halfway through spring training, who is the best fit at leadoff? If it is not Charlie Black,
1: so so I made a big mistake on Twitter the other day, Patrick. I Uh-oh. I uh, no I uh, I had the 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 arrogant uh, idea to to think that I that I had figured out the lineup on Uh-oh. on February on February sixth, whatever day it was, and I because I had convinced myself in my head that the perfect leadoff would be Gerardo Parra he's done it in the past. He did it for a long time in Arizona. Um he's uh he, his offensive year last year was actually not that bad. He was much much more improved than the year before. Um he's in a, he can move around the bases. He has some speed. Uh he and, he and and he has experience in the spot. Now here's the problem. Uh Jeff Houston uh uh, freed me from my mistake today by explain <laughs> by explain by explaining like a big like a something I missed, like a big glaring hole in that idea that I missed. Harado Parra swings at a lot of first and second yes, pitches. Does. He does not take a lot of pitches and you want your leadoff to be a very patient hitter. They need you need to make a pitcher work to start a game. Uh so if he's getting to the second hitter after throwing one pitch, that's not that's not
0: a recipe for a good leadoff hitter. Now, yeah, I- you, should, you should ask me that same question, now, because I, I think I would have told, told you the same thing. <laughs> right. if, if it was me, uh, the guy I hope it works out for, and I think he still needs to, to uh, state his case, I think it's for Mel Tapia. If the Rockies want to get that kind of dynamic guy at the top of the order that Buddy Black seems to like, Tapia's the guy. My question is, well, two, two things. I don't know if his on-base percentage is going to be good enough. I don't know if he's a selective enough hitter yet. And number two, and you wrote this, uh, I think it was either last week, I believe, for all of his speed, he's a lousy base runner right now. And I'm not talking just about steals. I'm talking about going first to third. I'm talking about not getting picked off first base. Uh, I think he's improved in the outfield. Uh, ideally, he seems like the guy you want, but... There's a lot of ifs and a lot of questions about Tapia. Um, so coming out of the gate, I'm not sure if he's the guy or not.
1: Well, let me dissuade you of your notion, if I will. Okay. <laughs> uh, because as you mentioned, they're they're really trying to get him to be a base dealer, and he is still over for this spring. Right. Last I checked, he was over for 4. Um, but the problem with, with the Ryan Tapia is you're, that means that either Gerardo Parra or Ian Desmond – are starting the season on the bench. And I don't see that that's possible for this team. I don't know how you have $70 million on the bench with Ian Desmond. That's a great
0: point. That's a good point.
1: Unless you move Ian Desmond to a first base role, which I think they're, they're interested in, in more so in having him in the outfield. And Gerardo Parra, his defense is so much better than Raimel Tapia. It's hard to have him out of the starting lineup. Um, so I mean, Ryan Topia, yeah. You look at him, and he's he's an obvious leadoff. But what is the
0: what is the implications of that? That means taking that, you know, that's somebody else's point out. again. I mean, if I had done that on Twitter, I would have been crucified. So there you go. So, uh, so, so in other words, we don't
1: have an answer now. Long term, I mean, uh, to be honest, if if everything unfolds like it should, and maybe this unfolds sooner in the season than later, but definitely not at the beginning of the year. I mean. I'm looking at David Dahl, and I'm like, that is the perfect leadoff hitter—a guy who can get you power. Uh, he moves around the bases very well. He hits for contact. He can find the gaps. Like that's that's like a, a in very much in a Charlie Blackman
0: mold. That would be a great, great leadoff hitter uh, if he and if he can return be, to form. And let's be real about this, David Dahl. If he's healthy and running around, is probably a better basic center fielder than Charlie Black. At least he has the possibility to be. Because Charlie, you know, I'm not knocking Charlie. He gives it his all. He's a passable center fielder. But I think David Dahl has a chance to be a really, really good center fielder. And I'm talking defensively. My question for you about Dahl, though, is when I left uh, camp not quite a week ago, he was struggling at the plate. And I just counted that as being rusty. He hadn't really hit competitive pitching in a long time. No sooner have I come back home and I see he hits a couple home runs and starts to make contact how's he looking in your eyes right now?
1: Oh, much better. He was over fifteen yeah. to start the cactus right. league and then he hit two hormones in two days, uh so much better and, but those are the kinds of things that he's going to have to figure out in a season when the stakes are much higher because he's going to go he might go over fifteen in the season and over fifteen can turn into over thirty really quickly if you don't nip it in the bud uh and he's still i mean. I, I, to me, after missing an entire big league season last year, he had such a great start to his career two years ago. But I think you have to throw that out. I think you basically have to consider him a rookie at this point. Oh, sure. I
0: agree.
1: Uh, so he has a lot to prove.
0: All right. Well, let's let's move on from, from the leadoff spot because we obviously did not solve that. We probably just mucked it up. Let's go on to uh, who are the guys in your mind – that this stage of camp, and let's extend it even into the first stages of the season, who right now, Nick, in your mind, has the most pressure on their shoulders uh, of the Rockies currently trying to make the 25-man roster? Or guys who will be on the 25-man roster?
1: Well, well, it, I, would, I would tweak your question a little bit. Uh, okay. Not so much pressure to make the team.
0: No, I'm talking but... about just pure pressure. I'm talking about pre- pressure to perform, not to necessarily make the team, but to 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 uh, meet their potential. I mean, guys who really have a lot of pressure on them, the team is counting on them. Who's the guys that they have a lot of pressure on?
1: Oh, 100% most definitely. It's Ian Desmond. I agree. And not, I we're on the same page. And not just because he struggled so mightily last year. Uh, but his spring has been atrocious so far. 0
0: for, 0 for 16 right now,
1: is that right? It's it's some it's south wherever it is. It's bad, um, and he just looks really uncomfortable at the plate. He's dropped his hands.
0: Right, I uh, do know he's done that to try to to make his swing more compatible, if you will, uh, to driving the ball at Coors Field. Maybe a little more loft on it, uh, but by my. When I saw him, he didn't look good, and I know you've seen him the last week or so, and he hasn't looked good then either. But, as I'm sure Bud Black will lecture me or you or anybody who asks, it's just spring training.
1: Yeah. Do you buy that? Well, I do if he wasn't coming off such a bad year last year. And I know he was dealing with two different serious injuries last year, and it really did set him back. It was a real bummer. I mean, he broke his hand in spring training, so we didn't even get to see him right off the bat on his new team. Um, until well into the season. It, so he was dealing with a lot of issues. But even then, it was a struggle for him all year. It really was. So if it was just a bad spring training, I might dismiss it. But because it's coming off such a bad season overall, uh, it, it's, it's worrisome. I think it really is worrisome. Now, he's been, around, he's been in the league, and he's been a successful player in the past to the point where you can give him a pass in spring training. Veterans tend to at times they'll just be they'll they'll have bad numbers in spring, and then all of a sudden it's like in a snap they're ready for the season they
0: just know how to get ready like that happens with the veterans
1: no, I often but
0: let me throw let me throw this out too there's another there's a couple other things riding on this, and i don't know Ian well, and let's face it, I think you would say the same thing he's not an easy guy to get to know. He's a little bit defensive. He, he always challenges you, which is fine. I don't mind that as a reporter. But he's making $22 million this year. He's the highest-paid person on the team this season, salary-wise. He was given a five-year $70 million deal, which a lot of pundits from around the nation thought Jeff Breidich was nuts to do it. Jeff Breidich said he's going to be our first baseman. It didn't turn out. Now it looks like he's a left fielder. There's a lot riding on him uh jeff Bright, his reputation a little bit his clubhouse the fact how does he fit into the clubhouse and let's face it he was just not that productive last year at coors field and i know the injuries were there but if i'm not mistaken and i was looking at this stat the other day he batted the ball into the ground in other words he grounded out as much as almost anybody in baseball if you're a course fieldman, you don't want to be doing that. You've got to drive the ball. You have got to take advantage of the gaps of course, which is maybe why he's adjusting his swing and why he's struggling now as he makes those adjustments. Uh, but Ian Desmond, I think we're both on the same page. There's pressure on him to perform this year, and you know I'm not you. I don't think either of us tend to be hard asses on guys. Uh, but you know what, Ian Desmond. You're supposed to be a difference maker on this team. And if this team wants to get back to the playoffs, you have to produce like an all star. Yeah. Right?
1: That's my feeling. Well, I mean, you know, you don't, even, the Rockies don't even need to say it. They gave him a contract that says, this is our guy. Like, this is, yeah. this should be the guy on our team. He's the yeah. highest player on the team, but he, I mean, he's down. He's down the list of most productive players on the team, and I think they notice that now. His reputation carries a lot of weight in the in the clubhouse. It really does. Players, other players, will go to him. Nolan Arenado likes to talk That's to him. True. He imparts He he definitely imparts a lot of knowledge. But on the field, they need to be able to turn to him in key moments. He needs to be. He needs to be a difference maker consistently on the team. Uh, at like and maybe this is unfair, maybe not, but I mean his his contract says otherwise. He needs to be a difference maker on the level of a Nolan Arenado. Now I don't think anybody's expecting the Desmond to be an MVP type candidate like Nolan Arenado is, but he's got to be up there as as a productive leader, more than just well, a clubhouse leader.
0: That's what I said. He's got to be an All Star type player. That's exactly. What they're paying him for exactly. All right. Now let's let's go to let's let's be a little more positive before as we wrap up this section. Who in your mind has been, and I'm not going to say surprise. Let's say who's been. Uh, what's the best word I should look for here? Who's had the most positive impact in your mind? And, uh, and let's throw out Charlie and let's throw out Nolan and let's throw out DJ. But the guys who are up and coming who also need to make answer some questions this year. Who has impressed you in this spring camp beyond the obvious stars
1: well let me let me give you one that's really not so obvious, and then one that's okay. uh, what's a little more so uh, Jairo Diaz is throwing fire uh so far from the bullpen he was he threw he's, he's he's made two appearances in the cactus league his second one last night in Peoria against the Mariners He was throwing the ball at ninety nine miles an hour consistently and he was just blowing by guys uh i don't know if he's if he's Bound for the opening day roster, but he will be up at some point this season for sure. And he's throwing the ball very, very hard. And he has like a very, he's like a, a really tricky slider
0: to go with it. Well, that's good because Hyrule, for all of his heat, needs to throw a better slider. He can be a two pitch pitcher as a okay. reliever. If he perfects that slider a little better, exactly. Now the
1: now more obvious one who's who's yeah. really been impressive this spring, and again, yeah. like obvious spring caveats about you know numbers and whatnot, but he looks really comfortable and like just like like really in tune with what he's doing um, is Trevor Story. He's hitting yeah. really really well. Um, he's hitting for power. He's hitting for contact. His defense is on point. Basically, everything that we got to know from Trevor Story in his rookie year is happening right now. Um, you know. And to be fair, after, he struggled pretty bad last year to begin. He f- started to figure it out later in the year.
0: About the last six weeks or so.
1: Exactly. And so maybe this isn't something new exactly, but uh, he could be a a very big key to this team. They need, they need power. They desperately need power beyond Nolan Arnato and Charlie Blackman. If Trevor can, if Trevor Story can start hitting, hitting for power. And I mean more than just home runs. I mean, I mean doubles in the gaps, especially at Coors Field that can go a long, long way to helping this team.
0: Hello. Okay. Let me throw out one more name and we'll wrap this segment up. The guy I was very impressed with. And I wrote about this um, early in camp and I know he's cooled a little bit. I thought Ryan McMahon was having a really good camp. I thought he looked really comfortable at first base. He also looked good at third. I thought he was carrying himself, uh, not like some starry-eyed rookie. I thought he was carrying himself like he belonged. Uh, He told me he is confident, not cocky. I liked everything about him, but I haven't been around for the last week. You tell me what you've seen from him over the last week and tell me your thoughts.
1: I I would agree except for one thing, and it's through – it's not – necessarily a fault of of ryan mcmahon's but i i need to see ryan mcmahon defensively at first base handle a throw from nolan arnotto when nolan is being crazy nolan right where he's like he's making a play that a normal third baseman should not be able to make because his range is so big where where nolan needs you know sometimes nolan will make such an incredible play and he'll get the ball to first base in any way that he can, just however it is, sidearm, submarine, hook shot, whatever he does to get the ball to first base. And he does it in such a hurry, in such an acrobatic fashion, sometimes he needs help on the other end. So I need, I need to see Ryan McMahon tested in a way on, on defensive plays that are not routine, uh, if that makes
0: any sense. And that no, w- that does. And, and, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this too. Early on in camp, when I talked to Nolan about the fact that it looked like uh, it was going to be Ian Desmond at first, even though Ian said he was going to be in left field, and there was that little bit of mini-controversy early in camp, and it was clear that Mark Reynolds, at least it was clear at the time and remained so, was not coming back, and Nolan, Arenado basically said, well, and I'm paraphrasing, well, I guess I'm just going to have to make sure all my throws are chest-high and he didn't say it maliciously. It wasn't like, oh well, it was me. But I kind of shook my head, like, you know what? You're one of the greatest third basemen of all time. Most of your throws are on the money. But I'm with you, Nick. He's got to. Nolan's got to be able to have the freedom to attack on third base. And if a ball's a little offline or a two hopper or a little off target, they need somebody at first base who can make that scoop and make that play, and turn the sensational play into the routine play, which is what Nolan tends to do. And you're right. We don't know if Ryan McMahon is McMahon is up to that challenge yet. Ma- I don't think I don't think Ian Desmond was up to that challenge
1: last year. I mean if if Nolan Arnold was sitting over there thinking I have to make every throw chest high, that's like that's like making Clifford still have to, you know draw with crayons or whatever that was a little little art museum stuff that was a Denver reference Patrick that was a Denver reference I was like
0: I'm getting I'm getting all local you're not just a you're not just a baseball writer and a sports you're like a cultured guy I'm a I'm a member of I'm a member of that museum (laughs) (laughs) all right Nick I think it's a good session and there's a lot to look forward to and maybe I come off as a little negative in this I'm not I just think The window for this team to win is now, uh, and I think there's some questions that need to be answered, and I think you feel the exact same way. Uh, We have half a spring training left to see how this all shakes out. Cross our fingers that they stay healthy. Cross the fingers that the starting rotation uh, remains healthy and has some depth, and the bullpen comes through, and who knows, come uh, March 29th, Maybe we'll be talking about these guys as a, a contender. Hey, so, hey, Patrick, is
1: yes. it? Do you do you recognize how completely crazy it is that none of their biggest issues are pitching?
0: What team are we even talking about? Oh, this is no, a bizarre world. But unfortunately, well, not unfortunately. Let's hope, knock on wood, that a month into the season, because of injuries or because of ineffectiveness, we aren't talking about. Oh my God, what are they going to do about pitching <laughs> right now? Yes, there are questions, but they're not the biggest questions. And that's that's really different for the Colorado Rockies, no question. So.
1: It's weird.
0: Okay, man. Hey, um, good talk, and uh, you and I will catch up soon. We'll be crossing paths again soon in Scottsdale. That is Nick Grok, my colleague at the Denver Post, and I'm Patrick Saunders, and you've been listening to the On the Rocks podcast on denverpost.com. <laughs> And welcome back to the third segment of this week's On the Rocks podcast. I'm Patrick Saunders, Rockies beat writer for the Denver Post. Let's call this segment the On the Rocks podcast mailbag, where I'm going to take some questions from fans and readers around the country concerning the Rockies. Let's start out with Victor. This is from Alameda, California. And Victor writes, hey, Patrick, what are the chances that the MLBPA, that's the Players Union, and MLB come to an agreement in the near future to reduce the amount of spring training games and reduce the possibility of injuries to players. I know they are great to prepare for the regular season, but I believe the games start too early when players report to camp. Well, Victor, the chances of that happening are about zero, and I'll give you a couple reasons why. Number one is money. That's the big reason. Spring training has become an industry unto itself. If you travel to Florida or Arizona this time of year, you'll see huge crowds, you'll see jersey sales, you'll see food sales, uh, you'll see a party going on. It's become a thing of its own. And MLB is not about to give that back. Now, the Rockies don't televise a lot of games, but a lot of teams around baseball do. And all of that is involved in the business side. Uh, I will say this. The only ones who need this long of spring training are the pitchers. They're the ones that need to be lengthened out. They're the ones who need to build up arm strength. If you ask the veteran players, guys who are sure of a roster spot, there's no way they need to report to spring training on February 14th for the catchers or February 19th for the position players. And go all that way up until the end of March to get ready. They simply don't need it in this day and age. But to answer your question and to reiterate, it's not going to happen. Uh, spring training is here to stay and I can't imagine it getting any shorter. But it's a great question. John Paul from Castle Rock, at, from Castle Rock asks, why haven't the Rocks tried to convert Padvaleka into a first baseman? That's another good question. They have used him a little bit this spring. They've used him in practice. He is right now essentially a backup first baseman. And right now he is the Rockies super utility guy. I think Valaika would make an excellent first baseman. Um, I think he's got the glove work to do it. I think he's got the stature to do it. And I think given a chance to play every day, he might show some amazing power and some pop. But right now, that's not in the Rockies' plans. Right now, I see Pat Valleca as the super utility player and as the number one pinch hitter off the bench. Now, currently, he's sidelined with an oblique strain. It doesn't look too severe, but you never know with oblique muscles because they can linger and linger and linger. So hopefully, Patty Barrels, as some people like to call him, will be back and healthy sooner rather than later. And we'll see if he gets in to play first base from time to time. But right now, first base is Ryan McMahon's or Ian Desmond's position. But good question. This next one comes from Steve from Centennial, Colorado. And this is a little long, but I'm going to read it. Steve says, Never thought I'd be worried about Colorado's offense. But last year, even with MVP-type seasons from Nolan and Charlie, Arenado and Blackman, plus the pleasant surprise from Mark Reynolds, I still felt like the Rocks were a batter too short on many nights. Now, with both Reynolds and Cargo gone, I see gaping holes in the offense past the first three batters. Do you think they have enough offense to match what should be the best pitching staff in team history? Coors Field can only help so much, right? Well, Steve, that's a great question. And something that we addressed, Nick and I addressed in the uh, second segment of this podcast and I'm on the record as saying if the Rockies don't come through and if the offense doesn't come through I think Jeff Braddich in the front office is going to be kicking themselves for not doing more to prep up or bulk up this offense. I'm not sure Mark Reynolds is the answer. Uh, He didn't hit particularly well the second half of last year. I'm not sure Cargo is the answer, although I think Cargo is due for a bounce-back year and he has yet to sign a contract with anybody. Chicago remains in limbo in what's been a very strange offseason. So I do think it's a little bit of a problem for this team. But on the plus side, let's look at it this way. If Trevor Story has a bounce back season and does things similar to what he did as a rookie in 2016, that's a big boost. And all signs in camp seem to be that Trevor Story is due for a bounce back. If he does, that's one thing that's really going to help this team. Ian Desmond, he has to bounce back. He's making $22 million this year, part of his five-year, $70 million deal. He has got to be a more productive, a more powerful force in this offense. If those two come together, and they both are productive, then maybe the offensive woes aren't such a big deal. But boy, I tell you, I wish the Rockies had signed Carlos Santana. I know it was three years, $60 million, $60 million that he signed, uh, and the Rockies probably weren't going to get him. But I I wish they had made a move to do something like that. But they spent most of their money, and it was well thought out. (coughs) Pardon me, but they spent most of their money on the bullpen. Anyway, we'll see how that all shakes out, but I agree with you. I think the Rockies' offense has to be much more consistent this year. And the last question comes from Harold from Broomfield, Colorado. And Harold's question is, do you think the young pitching staff will be able to hold up for the whole the whole season? And the second part of Harold's questions, and what are the Rockies doing about a first baseman? Well, we have talked about the first baseman ad nauseum already in this podcast. So I think if you've listened already, you know what Nick and I think about the first base position. As far as the young pitching staff, uh, I have a couple of concerns. Well, let me first say this. I do think this has a chance to be the best starting pitching staff, the best pitching staff in general in Rockies history. I think on paper it has that chance. However, this young pitching staff has to stay healthy. And we're already seeing a little bit of a chink in the armor with Jeff Hoffman likely to miss the opener of the season with shoulder woes. Now, if the Rockies can stay healthy with that young pitching staff, that's half the battle. But as Bud Black has said, and he was pretty emphatic about this, these young pitchers, and we're talking about Herman Marquez and Antonio Sensatella and Kyle Freeland and Tyler Anderson and even John Gray to a certain extent, they have to take the next step. And what that means is being able to counterpunch. Every team in baseball, particularly teams in the NOS, is going to have a book on these guys this year. They're not going to be able to get away with this much. They're not going to surprise anybody. It is up to the Rockies young starters to develop their secondary pitches, to locate their fastball better, and also to be less predictable. That's the mission of this young staff and it's the mission of pitching coaches Steve Foster and Darren Holmes. Bottom line, I have confidence in this staff, there's going to be struggles, sure, are there going to be injuries, we don't know, let's hope not, but I think overall, The pitching is in its good place right now in spring training as perhaps it's ever been in this team's history. That's my belief. We'll see if it plays out. Anyway, gang, thanks for all the questions, and thanks for participating in this On the Rock podcast. Join us again next week when I will be back in Scottsdale covering the Rockies as we wind up spring training and start looking toward the regular season. My thanks once again to Kate Grove for joining me for our Um, middle section, a little banter of Rockies baseball today, and uh, this is Patrick Saunders, wrapping up this edition of the On The Rocks podcast.